Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends pretend to be bartenders and talk about gruesome murders. Each week, we feature a new cocktail, which has to tie into our stories. Although we are a casual comedy podcast, some of our subject material can be explicit. Listeners, be advised. Hey guys, welcome. It's another episode of Killer Cocktails. It is. Can we can we talk about your situation right now? Okay. Okay. So it is 80 degrees outside. It's a balmy. And then it day. was really hot in the house. Mm-hmm. And so it was too hot. I was hot. Camry turned on the air and mm-hmm. it was fantastic. Oh, it was great. And now you were snuggled up under a what kind of blanket? A uh, polar bear, we decided. Pol- yes, yeah. On it's, her mahogany it's a, floors. It's a feathered fleece throw. Mm. Um, feathered fleece obviously is going to feel fantastic, and the dead air space between all the fibers catches the warmth and is extra cozy. So I got a chill being in an air-conditioned home, so I was in cutoffs and no shoes, drinking cold beverages, mm-hmm. and I got cold. It You know, my body thermoregulates, mm-hmm. and I adjusted to the cooler temperature, and now I'm cold. Yeah. You just look ridiculous. <laughs> it's a little winter time to me. I also like that you called your blanket a polar bear. <laughs> um, this- well, because look, because it's white, but then there's mm-hmm. black under You know how polar bears have black skin mm-hmm. and the white fur? Yeah. That's what this looks like. It does. Um, okay. <laughs> now that we've settled that, um, this week we are doing the Godfather cocktail. Um, very tasty. I was a fan. Very. I, we both had our hesitations because we're like, eh, we're not big Scotch fans, so we're probably not going to like this. Yeah, I was a little nervous. Um, but to me, it reminded me of the old fashioned, but with all with no not pizzazz, but without the here's other the, ingredients. Here's the thing: amaretto is delicious. Mm-hmm. It's an almond liqueur. Do you remember those old commercials of Disarono on the rocks? Mm-mm. Oh, it was like this sexy, smoky. Five, five o'clock shadowy man, uh-huh. and he would be. He'd order a disorno on the rocks, and it was an amaretto. Do you want to you know what I'm hearing right what now? What are you hearing? On the rocks, disorno, disorno, disorno. Yeah, but if <laughs> he would order an amaretto on the rocks, yeah. and then talk about how sexy and delicious it was. These were commercials all throughout our lives. Is it sexy and delicious? I mean, it's tasty. Yeah. So I think what we like about the cocktail is the prevailing amaretto flavor yeah. over the scotch flavor that we're not super huge fans of yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I would give this um, a 6.4. I have a hard... I went with your point system. Thank you. It's appropriate. <laughs> I I feel like I rated it on the video and I don't want to re-rate it now mm. that time has elapsed. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with my fresh... <laughs> My fresh rating. Yeah. I'm probably going to eat my words later. So yeah. I probably was like, I hate like, point it's a, two. It's a two. I hated it. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. I, I like this one. It, is a, it seems like a very like classic cocktail. If you have the ingredients to make it yourself, mm-hmm. might be, well, it's always cheaper to do it yourself. It's scotch and amaretto. But like scotch can be really spendy <laughs> oh, oh, okay. and amaretto can be, like depending on what they're well, like yeah, they yeah. might just have disarono, which is more expensive than like getting like a cheap. But anyway, sometimes you just want to splurge. You're like, you know what? I'm in a fancy place. It's going to cost fancy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get this cocktail i'm gonna do this i like it yeah um you have the history of this cocktail mm, i do all right break it down for me mm-hmm. where did this y'all ready for this history of the godfather all right <clears throat> so this history is adapted from an article by pastemagazine.com okay perfect adapted by kimry <laughs> uh Disarono, the maker of amaretto, of an amaretto, a very famous amaretto, claims the history of the Godfather is pretty straightforward. 
Uh, they state that the cocktail first appeared sometime in the 1970s, hmm. and apparently it was a favorite of Marlon Brando. Um, I recognize the that name. name, but I have no idea. Cool. I'm going to finish the sentence. Oh, perfect. Who famously <laughs> played Vito Corleone in the Godfather movies. Oh, so oh, he's oh, the oh, old, oh, he's the dad, he's, 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 he's Vito Corleone. Yeah. 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 So uh, he liked it. So I, I'm assuming since he's the godfather, they named the drink after him because he liked it. Fun. Um, another story, however, credits Donato Duke Antone, a barman who may or may not have owned a bar in Hollywood in the 1950s. Up for debate. Antone allegedly has invented similar liquor-heavy cocktails, such as the Rusty Nail, Ugh. the White Russian, Ooh. Italian Fascination, Ooh. Kamikaze, and most famously... The Harvey Wallbanger. Those are all really famous cocktails. Yeah. Yeah. So either this guy's got a real great PR uh-huh. department or he's really good at making drinks. Yeah. Booze heavy drinks. Those mm. are tasty drinks. Basically, you take like an already kind of tasty drink and then you put in a little bit more booze. Yeah. You're speaking my language. Except maybe he didn't. Um, cocktail historians have cast a lot of doubt on Antone's claims. So I think he just claims credit for a lot of really popular drinks. Oh, he's that guy. But maybe he did. Hard to know. Who knows? You know? Who could Who could tell? Um, now, Drea. What's up? We're drinking a drink called The Godfather. Yes. I've just told you the history of The Godfather you cocktail. Did. You did. Have you seen the movie and our movies <sighs> in The Godfather trilogy? Okay. I might get a lot of flack for this, but... And I think I was I was by myself. I wasn't in the right, you know, I didn't yeah, have a yeah, cigar yeah. in hand. I didn't have a Godfather cocktail in hand. But I, like, started it, and I want to say... It you op- watched it by yourself? I started it. Okay. And it opens up to a wedding, I want to uh-huh. say. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't get much farther than that. You didn't get past the wedding? Mm-mm. Nope. Opening scene. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it was too slow. I didn't understand anybody... Anybody. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, now, I know you have some Godfather facts for me, so mm-hmm. hopefully I don't step on any toes. Mm-hmm. I know you get really mad when I steal your facts. Yep. Um, the Tread God, lightly. The Godfather is originally a book by Mario Puzo. Okay. And it's a very well-written book. It's a very good book. I read the book first, and then I watched the movies. The movies are very... The book is good. The movies are good. It's one of those rare instances where you're like, you know what? You the the director saw like he got the story and he added to it like mm. the movies are good it's not a bad adaptation of the book the book has some tangenty stories that like complete plot lines that get cut out in the movie where you're like what happened to this whole yeah story I over mean, here you can't fit all of it you in. can't yeah um so that was my experience was I read the book I read the book I remember on a family trip we were going to Yosemite so I'm like reading in the car and you're I remember like high school. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, high school or 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 maybe like early college, but like we had all gone to Yosemite together. I feel like it was high school. And I can remember being torn between being enthralled by what, like once we got to the valley, being enthralled by what I was reading, mm-hmm. but then it being beautiful out the windows of being like, I should be looking at where, where we are, but then like not wanting to put so the book good. down. Yeah. Like I can vividly remember that. I haven't, had, I haven't had a book like that in so you, long. I think you might really like you might really like it. Okay. And then so is that book and the first movie based off each other or is it like the whole because there's multiple re- movies, right? Yeah, there's so the third one a lot of people discount. The first two are the ones that get a lot of praise and credit. Mm-hmm. And then the third same, one Same director all three? I th- I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's Coppola for all three. Um 
and the third one, it just takes place so much later. The character, yeah, like it, it, there's a totally different vibe to gotcha. the third one. Um, but the first two, and like people debate whether they like the first one or the second, like because uh, uh, De Niro's not in the first one, he's in the second one because it's got these flat. So the second one has these flashbacks where you're like you're learning about, and I guess the first one does too. Anyway, they're very good, mm-hmm. and I feel like maybe read the book. Mm-hmm. I think you'll enjoy the book, and it. You might have a different experience watching the movies, and it might get you a little bit. Okay, okay, I'm I'm up for that. Yeah, I'm excited. There you go. All right, so you want to hear these Godfather facts? I actually am very excited about these Godfather facts. So I'm curious how many of them I know. So Kimry found these for me, and I I'm I'm gonna admit something. I haven't read them, so <laughs> this, is, this is the first take. Yeah, you were here when I, I had lost the document that she had emailed. Me. You got in trouble. To be fair. I have a lot of emails. I have You're a very busy woman. I have my personal email. I have the Killer Cocktails email. And then I have the nutrition business email. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I asked her. I was like, which one did she send you send it to? I'm not pointing fingers, but she sent it to my nutrition one. <laughs> and I was not looking there. But to be fair, she wrote all this, and I appreciate her. <laughs> um, okay. So, Godfather fact. Uh, Godfather the movie fact. Marlon Brando wanted his character Don... Corleone? Corleone? So, it's Italian, so you've got people who call him Corleone. Uh-huh, Corleone. And you have people who are like, Corleone. Like, there's, you can put some flair on Cor- it. Corleone. Or you can just say Corleone. Um, so, they wanted that character to look like a bulldog. So, when he was auditioning, he stuffed his cheeks with cotton wool. And uh, for the actual filming, he wore a mouthpiece made by a dentist. Yeah, he's got, like... It changed the shape of his jaw. Oh, he's the guy who has, like, an underbite? Yeah, and he came up with his voice as well like this. <laughs> it's interesting. It's like a weird, weird choice. Huh. Yeah. Um, okay, Godfather fact. Uh, the cat that Marlon branded. There's a cat. I was going to give you this fact if you weren't going to tell me. Okay. The cat that Marlon Brando is holding in the opening scene was... Do you remember this scene? Did you get that far? I where he's, like, know. holding his cat and petting it? I feel like... I feel like I would have. <laughs> um, this was very long ago yeah. when I tried. Um, Steen was a stray that was found on the film filming lot and was not in the original script. The cat purred so loudly that it muffled Brando's di- dialogue and it had to be recorded again. Yeah. Because he was so happy. He just like, Brando's a bit of a, like a weird savant. And he was just like, you know what, this cat's going to be part of this scene. And just like picked him up and was petting him and was like, this is part of my character. I'm going to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see that cat. What do you think that cat's doing? These were made in the 70s, Dre. Oh, no. No. Probably living a happy life on yeah. a pillow under yeah. a lamp, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Okay. Godfather fact. During rehearsals, they used a, a replica horse head, but the director uh, didn't feel like that was enough, so he ordered a real severed head to be used during actual filming. The prop head was sold for $7,000 in 2013. Dang. So that's a spoiler. Oh, shoot. There's there's a very famous scene. So, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to say. I'll, you're going to watch the movie, so I don't need to set the scene. But you I, know I, that I, there's... I've heard, I've heard about You know that there's a dead horse yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is like when I quote, what are those movies? The Austin Power movies. And, and, and I like, I've seen one halfway yeah. through cause my friends try to make me watch it. But so there's in the, in the books, the storyline of, now I can't remember his name, but there's a singer, a famous singer. And that's where the, like that storyline in the movie is very small. And that's part of the horse head. Mm-hmm. And the myth of all of that is that it's loosely based 
on Frank Sinatra Mm. and that Frank Sinatra had signed these contracts and was stuck in these contracts, but wanted to be a big star and wanted freedom from these and that mobsters got involved and suddenly Frank wasn't in these contracts anymore. Is is the, you know. You did have, if you ever, I don't know, have some extra time on your uh, hands, Frank Sinatra's story is really interesting yeah he has ties to all like the kennedys and like the mob and like that when the music's good yeah, oh, yeah the music's good like i once i like listened to a book on tape about his like life when we like my mom and i used to drive down to see my nana in um socal so yeah yeah little little road trip frank sinatra always makes me think of my dad when my sister was getting married she was like trying to come up with her daddy daughter dance uh-huh and she was like well we we're like well it's got to be frank sinatra dad but I always sing his frank sinatra songs and then it's like Trying to find a Frank Sinatra song that's appropriate to dance to your, with your daughter with, but it's not like... When the moon hits your eyes like a big Frank. pizza pie. But it was, it was a chore to find one that wasn't like, oh, that's yeah. not for your, your dad. Um, okay, Godfather fact. Whenever oranges appear in the film, they're, they are like foreshadowing death or, um, or near death involving the Coroloni family. So... Yeah, all throughout. And I'm trying to think when people, like, when it kind of becomes apparent when you start. I don't know if it, if everyone picks up on it, like, it's really apparent. I feel like that could be a drinking or, game. Or it's, like, a thing you figure out where you're, like, oh, like on a rewatch where you're, like, oh, my God, it yeah. does. Yeah, But so, like, there's scenes where you've got all these mob bosses around a table and, like, some of them are grabbing oranges from a bowl and the others aren't. Ugh. You've got scenes where, like, before assassinations take place, someone's, like, shopping for oranges. Like, so oranges are all throughout the movies, it. and they do. They signify, like, something's going to happen to that person. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, so the last fact. Godfather fact. Uh, there was a great deal of mooning on set started by... Mooning? Mooning moon- people? Mooning <laughs> by James Can and oh. Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall? Uh-huh. In an effort to break tension during her rehearsal. Then it just kept escalating, and finally Brando was crowned best prankster and even got a belt with the title Moon Champion. Oh, my God. Can we start doing that? Mooning each other? Yeah, we need to... Jackie, there's a lot of tension on set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we need to start mooning each other. (laughs) The show has changed. Uh, I want the belt. You know, so James James Caan... It plays one of Vito's sons. Mm-hmm. His son, Scott Can, Scott Con, is in one is in the um uh, he's in a bunch of stuff, but he's in the um Ocean's Eleven movies. Oh, I love those movies. He's the buffer of the two brothers that are always fighting with each other. The buffer? Oh, the buffer. He's buffer. Oh, he's, he's like, okay. buffer of the two brothers. <laughs> oh, he's funny. Yeah. I like him. That's fun. I like it. Okay, well those are all my godfather facts. Would you like to watch this movie with me? Jackie. <laughs> I I know that you... My, oh, I didn't tell you this. My mom... Mad is not the right word, but uh. she felt vindicated uh, because I have given her shit for probably 20 years at this point because she watched one of my favorite movies with my sister uh-huh. and not with me. Uh-huh. And Aww. when we got... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> we got into the fight yep. about me watching it. She was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> so this is just a thing you do. Yeah. Well, she did it to me, and I've given her a hard time about it for years. And she was like, so you did it to Dre. And I was like, it's different. I was like, you're my mother. It's different. I was a child, and you were my mother. Yeah, you're my friend. Yeah. I, That's yeah. like when Kimberly watched Mike and Dave need wedding dates without me. It's not funny because I'm not there. 
Because, okay. you know, when you've seen a movie so many times and you love it, you're like, oh, just wait for this part. No, wait for this part. I know, no, but like, also part. to a degree, isn't that, doesn't that change it a little bit when the person like keeps looking at you, like for your, like expecting a reaction? Like that also makes it a different experience. Maybe in a way where you're like, oh, like you're queued up to laugh. So maybe it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But then also there's a lot of pressure. But it's also. Because if you're watching something somebody loves and you don't love it, yeah. that's awkward. Yeah, but I think, because I love it so much, I'm not. I don't know. I think I'm more wanting to make sure you don't miss all the jokes because it's, it's it. one after one after one. And okay. you're laughing and you're going to miss all the other ones. But you do you do understand that I have a sense of humor and I'm, I I pick up nuanced jokes. I yeah. probably got them all. No, no. There's no way. <laughs> it's like 30 Rock. You have to watch it yes. four times. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, all right. Yes. But yes, I would love, I want to, I want to make it a thing. I want to, I want to, I don't know what kind of food they eat or what cocktails they drink, but I want to, I want to okay. do the whole ambiance. I'm, I'm game for this plan, but you're a very busy person. Mm-hmm. So whenever, like maybe a year from now, we will have seen this movie. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to pencil that in? So like 2021, um, maybe in February. Like I like I get- how this- <laughs> I like how planning watching a movie is a dig at both you and me in how busy you are and how much I hate putting things in a calendar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think February would be good because it's still like... Can we Can we just do it this... I don't know that this needs to be in the episode, but I generally am off every Thursday, Friday, so just know that. I don't want to make plans, but also know that because I didn't make plans, I'm probably free for you to be like, hey... But Let's I have to do something fun the on these days. So, like, should I hit Wednesday. you up on Thursday? Yeah, on Wednesday for Thursday. I get a burrito, and then, like, it doesn't work. You asked me, and I was at work. And then you got a burrito, and I was really jealous. You and didn't then, say, wait for me. I was at work. You <laughs> texted me to go get a delicious burrito from the most delicious burrito place, and I was stuck at work. And I got the text an hour later, uh-huh. and I was like, did you go already? And then it was radio silence. Because I Because you <laughs> ate a burrito and went to sleep. I I was so full. So that that also wasn't on my day off. That yeah. was a Wednesday. That I don't that know happened. your schedule. Thursdays and Fridays, I'm well, off. Well, now I know. I'm trying to change it, but Thursdays and Fridays currently is when I'm off. Okay. So I would like it if you would plan and not tell me about it, uh-huh. so that it seems spur of the moment to are me. We, would you want to? Are we watching one and two? Like, are we just making plans for one? I We're not do, making plans. I would do both. They're long. Okay. And do you want to read the book first? Not necessarily. When am I going to read? Okay. Yeah. Valid. Let's watch yeah. movies. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Cool. It's not a date. No. Yeah. Who it's, knows when it's going to happen? It's a time in the future. Fun. I know. I know when it's going down. <laughs> um, okay. We didn't really decide who's going to go first. I'm getting my hair done next Thursday. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so it can't be next Thursday. It's not like I could do anything during the day. We're working. I hate it. <laughs> I hate that you're busy and have a life. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm starting a business. I know. I'll go first. Okay. All right. Jackie, tell me a story. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you about two folks, actually. Should we, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Should we tell everyone... All the shit talking that was going on and how you had to change your story a bunch. Is this the original story that you picked? Oh, no. I changed it. Oh, okay. Perfect. I I thought... I you had... got in my head. Yeah. Hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't happen very often because you're such a shit talker. I just don't... I don't let... Like, water off a duck's back. I let a lot of your shit just fly off of me. And I don't know why this one really got me. Yeah, because all I said was I have the better story. You never have Which a better story. Which you say every week. Yeah. Yeah, something, I don't know. Maybe it's just I had little faith in my story so that it 
got under my skin. Yeah. Well, and then and then I kicked myself because I gave you some tidbits about my story, and I think oh, that's... and those tidbits pushed me over the edge. God I went, I can't beat these tidbits. Fuck. All right. I mean, that was what made me nervous was the little things you told me. Basically, it all came down to this. I said, Drea, you're saying you have the better story. I just need to know if there's a heist or like a prison break in your story. Yeah. And then you alluded to the fact that in some regard, there's something that fits in that. And then that I was like, well, fuck. (laughs) My story can't beat that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I scrapped it, Mm -hmm. started looking for other stories. Then it was time to record and I was stuck with my pants down. I had nothing. <laughs> and you're, I, you're a moon admin. Yeah, moon I me. came. I came to the recording, and I just went, "Hey, I got nothing. You got in my head." And then you were like, "Damn it, Jackie, my story's not done." And I was gonna flake on the record because sometimes mm-hmm. scheduling wise, we'll get one in and can't get the other one. Yeah. And uh, normally, it just happens to work out that one of us is prepared and the other one isn't. Yeah. And this was one of those oddball weeks where we both just banked on the other person being ready and it and it didn't work. Yeah. I guess I felt really secure because you kept telling me how great your story was. And I was like, okay, well, obviously she's done. But then I got, I got, and you'll see it when I start doing my story. I got so tangenty. There's so many outlier yeah, yeah, stories yeah. that have nothing to do with what I, I should be talking about. Good but facts. I just, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I got all nervous. So originally, because the cocktail is the godfather. Yeah. I was telling a story about a mobster. Yeah, obviously. And it was a, an interesting mobster, and he had kind of a neat life. Uh, but I just, I felt like there was nothing super fascinating. I just, I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't yeah. love the story. Yeah. It didn't have that sparkle. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. I scrapped it, and I found a new one yesterday, day before. I can't wow. remember whenever I texted you about it, but I found it when I was like, all right, some stuff happens in this story. Perfect. It's interesting. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. I'm excited. Okay. So. I hope it's good. I'm going to tell you about Cynthia Kaufman Uh and James Marlowe. I know that name. James Marlowe? Is that a famous person? I mean, the famous. Murderer? Murderer. Oh, okay. Uh, Cynthia was born in 1962 Mm -hmm. in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm. Her dad was a successful businessman in the area, but he left the family. And she was raised by her uh, very Catholic mother. And so she had a pretty strict upbringing. uh, But at the same time, like, her mom wasn't super into it and, like, tried to give the kids away at one point. Oh. So I think it's pretty safe to say she had, like, a pretty tumultuous, hard childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, She got pregnant when she was 17. And because she's in this, like, super strict Catholic house... Abortion is not an option, and it was you're going to marry that dude. So she marries the father of her baby, and she's like everything I read. They kept like specifically calling it. She was in domestic captivity. Oh, and I don't know really what that phrasing means. Mm-hmm. If she was being abused, or she just felt like she was trapped in this marriage, mm-hmm. or but so she's got this young kid. She's married. She's not happy about being married. And at one point, she just like takes off and leaves with the kiddo. Or- and what I couldn't glean from any and i read multiple things was whether she took the kid with her or not interesting because the kid doesn't come up in any other parts of the story until she's on trial later mm-hmm. and it's talking about how she was worried about her son being used against her yeah so i don't know if it was like she knew her son was over here mm-hmm. and it was gonna like but it didn't say that she took her son with her i think she ditched her son with the husband interesting and she just left okay 
So essentially all she like she takes the car and the clothes she's wearing and is out of there. Doesn't pack a bag, doesn't so you know, part of me feels like maybe you're being abused because you're like just taking advantage of an opportunity to get out of get dodge. Out of dodge. Yeah. yeah. But so she heads west and she ends up in a place called Page, Arizona. And she starts waitressing at this little diner. She meets this guy. She starts dating him. His name's Doug. Um, Doug. Doug. <laughs> she gets an apartment with him. And they get uh, kicked out of this apartment for being super, like, basically they're throwing parties all the time. They're being really loud. And the neighbors are complaining about them. Um, so that's in, like, 1985. <clears throat> so she's in Arizona. She's dating this dude, Doug. All right. So on May 8th, 1986... She and the boyfriend get pulled over in Barstow, and the they're getting pulled over because they ran a stop sign, mm-hmm. but really it's about this like altercation that happened at a convenience store. So Doug gets into some sort of fight in a convenience store, then they get pulled over by the cops, I think like down the road for this traffic stop. They search the car, they find a pistol, a loaded pistol, and meth in her purse. Oh, no. So she goes to jail for like five days and is left, is like let out on her own recognizance. Mm-hmm. And Doug gets like a six month sentence that I think has more to do with the convenience store, or maybe yeah. he gets in trouble for the math. I'm not like quite sure. But so he's in jail. <clears throat> she starts visiting him in jail, and his cellmate is this guy named James Gregory Marlowe. Mm. Who's James Marlowe? So uh, he's in jail. And he's roommates or cellmates with uh, Doug. Roommates. He's roommates with Doug. <laughs> Isn't that funny. Uh, he's roommates with Doug because uh, he has stolen his sixth wife's car. Six number six. Number six comes after five. Yeah, before seven. Yep. Okay. Did you know that six, eight, seven? Uh, um. I was knew. I knew <laughs> that you were going to tell me that joke uh. and ruin it. I d- but do you know why six is afraid of nine? seven? Because eight, six, eight, seven. Wait. Because <laughs> six, eight, seven. Six, no, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> Drea. <laughs> oh, my God. Drea. Oh, my God. I would, I would swear that this was a prank and you were, if I didn't. Watch it happen in front of my eyes. I've I've been drinking. Okay. I want to point that out. Okay. I haven't had a lot to eat. We haven't had dinner yet. Okay. Okay. You didn't have any of the crackers I had. Oh, yeah. Those luscious crackers. Uh, Yeah. Or any of those disgusting dill popcorns. (laughs) You and your... People love love that stuff. I love pop... Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I am Kit's daughter. Uh Uh-huh. I love popcorn. Is that pickle? Ugh. Why, my, would you, why would you add gross flavor to something great? My friend Carrie stocks up on that pickle popcorn I, when, from Trader Joe's. And Carrie's wonderful. I've met her. She's good. I don't, <laughs> yeah. know, I don't know what her problem is with pickles. My, you know what? My friend Stacia loves pickles, too. Some people love pickles. <laughs> okay, so. He stole his sixth <laughs> wife's car. Okay. Um, and James had done some time at Folsom State Prison. Folsom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, while it, so he was there for like some uh, home invasions and some like knife point robberies. Okay. And uh, that was where when he was doing his time, that was in like 1980. When he was there, he got the nickname the Folsom Wolf. Oh. 
And okay. uh, just to, like, paint a little picture, he's covered in tattoos, most of which um, are neo-Nazi Aryan Brotherhood oh, in nature. Oh, so he seems like a fun fellow. I have in here. To, he's, he's a real gem. To never meet. So Cynthia meets this roommate of Doug's at jail, and she's smitten. How are you meeting the roommate? Are they coming together during, is it like a group hangout? So here's, here's the deal. There's conflicting stuff. So I read some things where it was like she met him visiting Doug. And then there's. Like meeting with his like eighth wife. I don't really know. I don't really know. <laughs> but then there's another story I read where it was like uh, James got out before Doug did. Mm. And James was like, hey, here's my apartment. This mm. is where I live with Cynthia. Mm-mm. You have to go take care of her. Make sure she's okay. Oh, he's going to take care of her. He did. No. So, then, so either they met in jail or they met outside of jail, ah. but they meet through Doug. Oh, And Doug. then Cynthia's like, Doug who? Oh, no. I like this dude. Poor Doug. So uh, they... Split town, they're like, let's get out of here. Let's leave Doug in jail and let's hit the road. Whoa. So they start bouncing to like different relatives of uh, James's mm-hmm. and they just kind of rob them and steal from them until they get kicked out. And that's kind of like their MO is like mm. they'll stay with family and then steal enough stuff that they're like, hey, did you steal this? You can't live here anymore. And then they'll go to another one. So then eventually they're like running out of family members and like news is getting ahead to other people. Like, don't let them live with you. They're going to rob you. Yeah. Um, so then at, at one point they end up like living in the woods and uh, Cynthia gets lice and James, uh, in an act to get rid of the horrible biting chiggers, starts taking baths in like kerosene. Oh, uh, oh, life is not good. No. Wasn't happily ever after. No, no, no. Okay. So now there's a burglary in Kentucky. And it eventually gets linked to these two, that they were a part of the burglary. They stole money, jewelry, and a shotgun. And with all their new riches, they decide that they're going to celebrate, and they leave Kentucky, they get to Tennessee, and they get married. As a celebration of the marriage, Cynthia goes and gets a tattoo mm-hmm. on her badunkadunk, mm-hmm. and it says, I belong to the Folsom Wolf. <sighs> Wait, do we ever find out why he's called the Folsom Wolf? Because he did time in Folsom Prison. Yeah. And he is a wolf of some sort. Ow. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like she might regret that. She does. Okay, perfect. Uh, but not right away. Okay. So uh, now it's the fall of 1986, <clears throat> October 11th to be exact. And Sandra Neary, who's about 32 years old, she leaves her house. She's going to swing by an ATM. She's going to get some cash. She leaves, but she never comes back. Mm. They find her car parked in, like, a local parking lot. And then two weeks later, they find her body, some hikers out near uh, Corona in Riverside County. This is down in Southern California. Um, and she's been strangled. Mm. Then Pamela Simmons, who's 35, she gets reported missing in Bullhead City, Arizona on October 28th. So a little while after that, um, they find her car kind of near a police department. And they're like, okay. Um, And the running theory when they find her is that either there was a close by ATM. Somehow they have this theory that she was going to an ATM and was abducted. Mm -hmm. So it kind of also matches the Southern California one. So then a short while later, uh, this is November 7th, so all this is like October, October, November, um, Karina Novice, 
She's about 20 years old, so a little bit younger than the other gals. She disappears. She was going to be out running errands. She went, she's in Redlands, California, and she'd gone to a mall. So it's a little bit different. She hadn't been in an ATM. It's broad daylight. So there's some differences there. Um, but she also went missing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then on November 12th, so again, still all the fall of 86, Linnell Murray, she's 19. She gets reported missing because she doesn't show up to a shift. She works at this... Um, uh, dry dry cleaning spot, mm-hmm. and her car is found outside. But like, I guess when someone comes by later, she's not there, or the or it's not open, or or something like that. So this was in Orange County, and that's my tie. Orange County, oh, oranges, oranges to the, the Godfather. Oh, okay, okay. I like that tie. Okay, so uh, then they find uh, Linnell Murray's body the next day. So they found the car. Where is she? Where is she? They find it the next day. She Her body was in a motel in Huntington Beach Whoa. in like a, uh, like a bathtub, and oh she'd been gosh. strangled and sexually assaulted. Um, is so now, she the first one to be found? No, they'd found – so they hadn't found Karina – uh, no, because they found the other one. Oh, the yeah, other, yeah, yeah. The, I think the first gal's body like two weeks later, but gotcha. like found by hikers. Yeah. It had been out a long time. They could tell that she'd been strangled, but mm. um, so this is the first one, yeah, like left inside. Yeah. Um, so they put out an, AP, an APB. So then, uh, oh, so where's the APB come from? So they've got, uh, they find in a dumpster a takeout food bag. That has Karina's checkbook in it. Whoa. And then a bunch of papers with Cynthia and James's names on them. How did they find that? So they're not super savvy. Yeah. So what I don't know is if that dumpster is like near um, the crime scene. The and crime so scene. It's being investigated. Or if someone found a checkbook and then was like, oh, like I, I'm not quite sure thing. how they. Yeah. I'm like, so there's a couple of things where it's like, okay, like I think something's bubbled up during the investigation. But this one. Somebody found it, and in some regard, like, this is what kicks it all off, where they're like, here is a missing girl who was found, oh, they haven't found her body, like, here's a missing girl, here's her checkbook, and there's these, these names associated with it. So they put out the APB, hey, everybody, look for these two. Then, on November 14th, this is the same year, 1986, police get called out to uh, Big Bear City, California, there's this, mm-hmm. like, resort mountain lodge, mm-hmm. and the person- Big Bear. Have you? Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's snowboarding. Um, the person who like runs this mountain resort is like, uh, these two are checked in under their name. Like get out here. They send a hundred officers out. What? Uh, and the resort's empty. Nobody's there. Whoa. So then they're like, let to the woods, let's go. So then they like spread out. They find them hiking down this like remote mountain road. Okay. So they arrest them. Um, Okay, so Cynthia and James, they surrender. They're like, okay, yeah, we did it. It's, we're not going to, like, there's no shootout. There's, they're wearing clothes that were stolen from the Ugh. laundry, from the dry cleaning place. Yeah. Um, and immediately, like, the next day, Cynthia's like, all right, I'll take you to where Karina's body is. Well, so she takes them out. They find the body. She's been strangled, sexually assaulted. Um, so Cynthia's, like, kind of playing ball with the police officers. She's ratting out James. At the same time, James is ratting her out. Like, mm. both of them are like, it was the other one's idea. It wasn't my idea. Um, they get charged with murder. Uh, it's a pretty slam dunk case because they have, like, not only do they have the checkbook with, like, they also found in another room that they had rented, they found a bunch of, like, forged papers with, uh, Linnell Murray's like stuff on them, so like, they've got all sorts of evidence. And then they also have the fact that Cynthia's kind of uh, telling them where bodies are and stuff like that. So uh, 
during the like court cases, so they're tried together, I think, and this is in California because it's over one of the California um, victims. Cynthia has uh, people come in for her defense talking about like battered wife syndrome and that she was afraid of James. She was afraid that James was going to hurt her child. And at in the same time, James is like, no, I wanted to rob these women. Like I wanted to steal cars and take like ATM cards. And he's like, she wanted to kill these women. She was the one who pushed me every time to do it. Like, he's like, these couple over, like, he was, like, talking about a couple of the murders. And he was like, but these last couple, he's like, that was all Cynthia. So he's, like, admitting to the first couple. Yeah. So he's kind of like, she's, like, no. What she's saying is not the case. Yeah. Um, and so then, he, he's ultimately agreeing that he did kill the women, but, like, by her persuasion. Yeah. And then they go back and forth about who actually killed them okay. and why um but he said like his thing is like the motive for it was cynthia this is not my passion and thing that i'm into that Mm -hmm. i'm dragging her along with i was just doing it for her yes and then she's saying um oh so then she's like well no i was terrified of him because he's the Folsom wolf and he told me that he killed a bunch of black men in prison and i was afraid that he was going to hurt me and so like it's hard to know who's really like the truth probably lies in the middle somewhere yeah um but so ultimately both of them are found guilty of murdering karina that's the one where cynthia took them to the body so they both get life sentences they both get death sentences whoa and she's one of the very few like they had reinstated the death penalty in like the 70s like 1977 yeah so she's one of the first women committed to death and They haven't been put to death because then California, like, flipped it. It takes a really long time to go through, like, appeals and stuff. They also went back to trial in 1992 for a different murder, one of the other girls, and got got life sentences. I'm unsure. I think that one's California as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But meanwhile, like, both of them are awaiting death sentences that have now, I think, been commuted to life sentences. That's crazy. Like, the... I don't know if she hadn't met Doug or if Doug yeah. hadn't gone to jail that day or if like he had had a different cellmate, like these two yeah. wouldn't have found each other. I always what have wonder you. about the the murdering pairs and is someone, is one person the protagonist and the mm-hmm. other person is just along for the ride or yeah. do two people find each other and like we're both into this I think super like you were saying, thing. this one seems more... In the middle, like there's a truth I don't, somewhere like, in the I, middle. I'm sure, I'm sure she had a bad childhood, and I'm sure James was a scary dude. Mm-hmm. Like I think it, it's documented that like they had a very tumultuous, violent relationship. Yeah. But I think it went both ways. And then you you consider they they were probably also partaking in drugs and oh they're doing yeah. meth yeah yeah meth it's a hell of a drug <laughs> <laughs> you clean your apartment but my goodness <laughs> at what cost at what cost um dude. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't cite your sources. My sources, uh, essentially, uh, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and there's a couple different articles in Murderpedia that now aren't in front of me, um, but there were a couple in there. And then I found a couple other ones that then I went, oh, these like they hadn't cited their sources that were the things that I was reading off of mm-hmm. Murderpedia, so I didn't really learn anything new from those other things that I read. Uh, so essentially, those two. Perfect. Good tie. Good tie. I like the oranges. Um, all right. Is it time for intermission? It's time for intermission. Y'all, I hope you enjoy intermission, and we'll see you in a little bit. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Hey guys, welcome to Intermission. Mm-hmm. Step right up, get your popcorn, get your bevy. Oh. And let's get back to the show. Okay, I'm bye. Excited. No, just what? No. <laughs> Throwing me off. Sending you on a, a, a tailspin there. Um, you guys, as always, at the top of Intermission, we'd like to thank everyone who's donated. And if you're listening or if you've written a, a review, thank you so, so much. If you told friends and family about us, that's amazing. Um, for those of you who have donated, thank you again, Kathleen, for your reoccurring donation. And thank you so much, Sandy. All of your donations have gone towards alcohol. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Sandy. Um, Jackie, do you have a, um, a review from iTunes? I do, but I've lost track of which ones I've read and which ones I haven't. Uh-huh. So if this because is... Because you have a, a, a fail-safe system over there, right? Yeah, which is open it up and read them. Yeah, which I said maybe you should read them in order. Uh, but I didn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so here's, here's one that if you've heard it before, what a treat. You get to hear it twice. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to hear five stars? Uh-huh. Let's jump right in. Uh-huh. Wait, is this a review about how great this podcast is? We'll get into it. One day, two awesome girls, a gal, excuse me, from Oregon started a very funny podcast that features a version of Cocktails for Dummies and True Crime. Wait, I'm annoyed. You haven't told me what makes this podcast so funny. Well, I think the funniest part is the back and forth between the co-hosts, which makes me smile. Aww. She all these little, all the little, little nuggets. Little nuances of the mm-hmm. show. Um, thank you so much. That, that was Bambi Bubbles. Bambi Bubbles. Now I feel like I have read this one. You have, I swear. <laughs> Both of you poo-pooed me, but I'm. I I think I read it to you, but not on air. But we, that name sounds. We hang out too much. Real so. familiar. All, everything is melding together. Oh, no. Um, I have an email to read you. Ooh. Um, I I dropped the ball and I didn't get to email this person back. Um, so I don't know if I'm allowed. Have I to... heard this? No. Well, is this new? Yeah, it's three days ago. I don't think I've heard this. Okay, well, sit sit tight. What a what a live reaction you're gonna get. <laughs> um, so I didn't contact this person, so I don't know if I'm allowed to say their name. So I will not say your name. But if you email me, because I'm going to email you, <laughs> and if you say it's okay, I'll say your name next time. Okay. So it says, "Hey, Jackie, Andrea, and Kimberly. I think I spelled her name right. You you didn't, but it was very close. <laughs> um, she, uh, this." The person was like, I, I was just listening to your newest episode, and w- and when you guys got into the PowerPoint talk, I had to shoot you a message by the name. Oh, by the way, my name is Bleep, and I was the reviewer that was looking for a cocktail podcast. You did send me this, and this is amazing. Yes. Okay. Nearly died when you guys read my review. Anyway, I worked at this bar in Austin, Texas, and we had one night a month called Pints and PowerPoints. Uh, a bunch of random people so awesome. get on stage and present their PowerPoints on different subjects. They also have the audience vote on an app whose presentation was the best. I never liked PowerPoints until I worked those events and listened to some weird presentations, learned something new, and saw how dedicated they were about the subjects. It ended up being our busiest busiest night. Thought I'd share with you guys. This I a, a local brewery has to do this. Yes, because this is awesome. Yes. What would your PowerPoint be? I have no idea. Ooh, true crime. No. No? No. Something like socks? Yeah, it would be like uh, properly layering mm. or or something. Yeah, for the outdoors. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> you haven't seen my PowerPoint about well, it. Well. You don't. Stop. <laughs> I'm offended that you're pretending that you don't think that my PowerPoint about layering would be engaging and entertaining. Ye- not only, oh, not only Jesus. will you learn <laughs> life-saving skills. Uh-huh. 
but you'll be entertained the whole time. You're always very entertaining. Yeah. So why are you rolling your eyes at me? I think I was more rolling the eyes at the like PowerPoint part because you're so weird with technology. <laughs> like it might be bare bones. Like it just might have like a word on each slide and then maybe a picture. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. I'm good at making PowerPoints is all I'm saying. <laughs> You've got this real attitude that is based in nothing. You've never seen a PowerPoint let's, I've created. Let's do a PowerPoint in Pints Night. All right. Okay. Deal. I'm mad at you. What? Stop. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. I'm mad at you. You have no faith in my, my PowerPoint skills. I don't. And I'm mad. <laughs> well, show me otherwise. Oh, my God. Ask me what I'm going to do. I already know your power. I, I believe in your PowerPoint skills. No. And I won't be surprised by how great it is. Yeah. No, ask me what I'm going to do it on. What are you going to do it on? I don't know yet. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but that's how you a conversation. You me all afternoon. <laughs> that's how a conversation goes. You ask the other person. <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I'm going to do, though. Okay. When, when, is, when is this all due? I need a timeline. Yeah, no no timelines. Stop it. When is this going to go down? I have no idea. We have talked to nobody. PowerPoint and pints. Oh, my God. It's happening on. <sighs> I need to know when to have it done by. You're going to have to arrange this with a bar. <sighs> no, 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 no. Just at Kimberly's house. Oh, we're doing it? Yeah. <laughs> Can we not just hang out and, like, show each other PowerPoints? <laughs> Here's the thing. You are a stubborn enough person uh-huh. that I do not trust your voting on the PowerPoints. What? I, what? I feel like you are stubborn enough about me that you will not vote for my PowerPoint. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you i would 100 percent. if you had the better powerpoint i would piss and moan but i would vote for you why do i say this i say this because i will have the better story sometimes and you will not you will not give me that obviously you didn't have a better oh, story see, this so is exactly you're all up I mean. in your own ass this is, exactly what I mean. <laughs> this is just a fighting for 10 minutes <laughs> we'll have we'll, we'll we'll get a third party vote on it kimberly doesn't count <laughs> a third we'll bring people in Okay. We'll have like a virtual like live show of presentations. Yeah. I yeah. I'm getting shoulder pads. <clears throat> That's my move. You don't get to bring shoulder pads <laughs> Shut to the up. Shit. Shut up. <laughs> I've worn shoulder pads to a party that you were at before. Cool. So did a whole decade of people. Yeah, but it's- you didn't. I did. Where's your jacket with the shoulder pads? Is it waiting in your closet? No, it's probably at like with the secondhand store with them all over it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till you tell that story. Today the day? No. Okay. No. We're too fired up for that story. All right. All right. And, and another piece in point, when I, you know, episodes from now, if I still haven't told you a special story, those at home listening, um, remind me. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just send send our Instagram a, a direct message. Yeah. Like, hey, tell the story already. <laughs> What's the story? Yeah. It's a what great is the story. story? It's so good. Intrigue. I love telling people that story. Theft. Creepy aspects. Crime. Retail. Retail. <laughs> Central Oregon. Yeah. Me. The, uh, <laughs> the local news. Yeah. All right. Enough buzzwords. Anyway. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Um, we're going to wrap up this intermission, mm-hmm. and we hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. All right. Bye. Welcome back, you guys. I hope you enjoyed intermission. Those gals, they get me every time. They are so funny fighting with each other like that. (laughs) 
Always fighting. Always. Um, okay, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to tell you my sources. I'm going to tell you my sources at the end because I don't want to ruin it. I I won't read into them if that's your concern. <laughs> but it gives, it gives some stuff away. You tell this story how you want to tell it. Okay, perfect. I'm going to tell you about joe morgan joseph morgan if you will what a i feel like i know a joe morgan you know what a name yeah yeah a generic name yeah all right i'm uh we're gonna dive right in uh joe was born on april 10th of 1929 oh an oldie in san pedro california uh he's the youngest of four siblings and his father's american and his mother is croatian um he's raised catholic Croatia is supposed to be beautiful is it oh yeah oh i'll have to check it out sometime like Beautiful vacation. It's supposed to be a wonderful land. I like it. I like it. Um, uh, so he's raised Catholic, and he grows up in a Hispanic neighborhood in um, L.A. <laughs> um, in the late 1930s, he joins what is believed to be the first uh, Maravilla street gang, um, which had this reputation, a reputation for being very violent and ruthless. So the problem with street gangs mm-hmm. in olden days is there's a very, like, musical... Uh, connotation in my mind like of snap, like, like <laughs> sharks and the jets, <laughs> and I'm sure that I'm positive that gangs back in the day uh, obviously weren't like, "Hey, you fella!" But like, I'm sure it was <laughs> it was terrifying violence and crime and yes. yeah. But I, I always have to do a recalibration in my brain. <laughs> oh, I like that uh, West Side Story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so um, Joe and his family then moved to East. L.A. I'm going to have to stop. We're going to, because yeah. I'm going to say L.A. a lot. So L.A. Yeah. Los Angeles, if you will. L.A. So they move uh, in like 1946. And when Joe is 16, he starts dating this 32-year-old woman. And he ends up getting. When he's how old? He's 16. And she's how old? 32. Cougar. <laughs> oh, oh. I mean. Yeah. Um, that's not legal. No, it's not. No, no, no. Just because it's a lady and just because it's going the other way doesn't make it less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so Joe ends up getting into a fight with uh, the lady's 52-year-old husband. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. There's some gaps in age in this story. Uh, Yes. Um, And Joe beats him to death. With the sixteen-year-old beats the fifty-something-year-old man with a tire iron, <gasps> and buries him in a shallow grave in the Malibu Hills. Whoa. Uh huh. Um, and while waiting trial in co- county jail, <laughs> Joe is. Oh, so he gets caught right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Joe um, is waiting in county jail, and he has a cellmate, a roommate, if you will. Uh, <laughs> oh, I always got you to do a spit. That take. was good. Um, and he takes his id or he uses his like cellmate's number and he gets transferred he's supposed to what he he's his cellmate is supposed to be transferred to a juvenile camp and so he just takes his identity and gets on a bus and escapes oh my goodness um and after he what is an escape uh-huh and so um joe is then recaptured and he's convicted of second degree murder and he's sent to st quentin where he served nine years and that's really a hard nine years. That's my story. Sorry, no. <laughs> um, and by the way, in case you forgot, so well, we were just talking about it, but Joe is like sixteen or seventeen years old, getting sent to San Quentin. Yeah. So this is the whole thing about. There's no way that if you go into a straight up prison mm-hmm. as a young adult and spend any sort of chunk of time, mm-hmm. you're even if even if you were innocent or you know, 
could have been turned around. Like, you're going to come out hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to be a different person for sure. Yeah. I just, I feel like San Quentin didn't rehabilitate him. I think there's going to be more to your story that is uh, <laughs> sad and bad. Yes. Um, and then like a little aside, because I was like 17, 16, that's so young. He must have been one of the youngest. Um, but in 1904, Claude Hankins was 14 years old and sentenced to 16 years in San Quentin. Cause he, did they just not have juvenile places back then? I don't. 1904? He did kill a man pretty brutally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were like. By the time you're 14, you're probably, you know, working in a coal mine, and it's mm-hmm. just a different time. You get some hair on your chin. Yeah. Chinny, chin, chin. Okay, so back to Joe. So in 1955, Joe is released from San Quentin, and just a year later, Joe is sent back to prison for robbing a bank with a machine gun, and he steals $17,000. My goodness. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't th- seem like a lot for a bank robbery. Oh, uh, you think back then? Yeah, but still. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe. Yeah. 1955 money? To me, not worth the risk reward. No, but. no, no, no. Um, during the bank robbery, um, he is shot in the leg, which he had to have amputated. And that's where he gets this nickname. What a uh, story. Ah, uh-huh. uh, uh, you win. This is a better story. <laughs> well, you don't know his nickname yet. What is it? Peg leg. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no one actually calls that to it. To his face. Like, no, he um, probably, like, you know, the me- stab you. The media catches wind, and yeah. that's what they refer to him, and, like, I think guards say it behind him. So while he's serving the sentence, he's transferred from Folsom back to county jail in 1961 so he could testify at a murder trial against this other guy. Um, so he's, he's a jailhouse snitch. Eh, I think. I mean, that's what that is. You're I testifying. I don't you're know. You're in jail. Yeah. And you're telling, yeah, he's a jailhouse snitch. I don't know if he was testifying. Oh, that was something else from my story. What? When they were both on trial, both of them had jailhouse snitches uh-huh. where they would be like, oh, no, James has been claiming credit for these murders. And then yeah. this other jailhouse snitch was like, oh, no, no, Cynthia has been claiming credit for these murders. So yeah. they both had jailhouse snitches just telling stories. All over the place. So uh, I don't, I don't know if this is true because of what happens later. I don't, he was going down there to, to be part of something. Okay. Um, so, a quilting group? Yes. <laughs> so he's he's waiting um, to be brought in onto this trial or what have you. Um, and he leads the largest prison escape in L.A. County ever. And so it's him and 11 other inmates. And they use hacksaws that he had hidden in his prosthetic leg. No and, way. Yes. And use them to cut through a pipe shaft. Wow. Uh- <laughs> wow no wow yeah that's pure astonishment isn't that crazy so i i think part of why it sounded weird to you is because my brain was trying to figure out the hacksaw so i'm reacting while still thinking Mm -hmm. and obviously it's not the whole hacksaw so like when you think of a hacksaw you've got the we talk about this all the time because the well, hacksaw is good in there. Yeah, you've got, but like, think about the parts of a hacksaw. You've got the band, right? You've got the big, mm-hmm. and then like the saw itself, which yeah. which normally attaches by like a hinge and a little yeah. screw. Mm-hmm. So I'll bet he had like eleven little screw, like mm-hmm. of the little just this ruler sized or less yeah. in, and then you have to fashion or you're like holding it. And it's wobbly. Yeah, fascinating. Yes. So they all break out. And um, so he is out in the world for about a week until he's recognized uh, while, like, shopping for groceries on, like, the west side of L.A. Crazy. And so he gets recaptured. And so Joe is uh, sent back to prison. And he ends up meeting and making friends with the leaders of the Mexican Mafia, um, mm-hmm. which <laughs> which was formed in dual vocational institution in Tracy, California in the mid-1950s. And this is where I kind of get tangenty because I didn't realize – 
how interesting the history of the Mexican mafia is. Well, and the history of any mafia is going to be yes. fascinating. Okay, so I'm going to dive right into like a little history lesson of the Mexican mafia. So uh, DIV, so that vocational institution, uh, was where the worst young offenders in, Calif- in the California system would go. Okay. And at age 16, you have this kid named Luis Huero Buff Flores, and he is a part of this Hawaiian Gardens gang, and he comes up with this idea to create a Latino gang of all gangs, which would protect themselves from guards and black and white gangs inside the prison. Okay. So essentially, he's like, you know, we need to band together. I know we're from different gangs, like Mexican gang- gangs on the outside, but when yeah, we're yeah. in prison, we need to come together and be one solid unit. And so Luis and 11 other kids from this new gang are like... Oh, it's kids because it's kids. Yeah, it's like kids. Um, and so they start forming what is now known as the Mexican Mafia. And it's different in that um, it's more covert criminal like organization modeled after the Sicilian Mafia. Okay. And they wanted to control the prison system by taking over the prison black market and being like the authority gang amongst yeah, yeah, yeah. inmates. And they become known as the Mexican Mafia or La M.A. And so they get so violent that the California Department of Corrections made the decision to transfer some of the uh, more more violent members to adult, it up. adult facilities, including San Quentin. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. So I don't, oh, I get where your head's at. Mm-hmm. Let's take the the bad eggs and let's spread them out. Makes sense. Yeah. But by taking the baddest eggs uh-huh. and putting them into the spoiled egg bin uh-huh. that is... San Quentin. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. You're just making a supervillain. Yep. And so, you're yep, you're right on tar- target. So once they get there, they just start recruiting more and more members. And they continue... And now they're all adults. Uh-huh. And they, they continue terrorizing and selling things on the black market and recruiting members of Hispanic games from Northern and Southern California. And La M.A. just keeps growing and soon they control the criminal activity in both youth and adult facilities throughout the state that's wild mm-hmm. isn't it crazy they were trying to squash it and yeah they, they made, made it, it worse. stronger yep okay so now back to joe so i don't know if you remember this but joe is american and croatian yeah he doesn't have any spanish in him but he grew up um, with spanish gangs yeah so he grew he, up that like the neighborhoods mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's so he speaks fluent spanish and he identifies that's kind of impressive mm-hmm yeah yeah yeah. Um, and he identifies really strongly with the Latino uh, culture. And Joe studies ancient Aztec mythology. And he uh, he's studying the writings of Octavio Paz. And he studies the history of different cultures and languages and military strategy. And he's known for being really, like, savvy and intelligent and charismatic. That's kind of, inter- that's kind of interesting. I mean, because yeah. you have a ton of Mexican-Americans that don't speak Spanish. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that he's so interested mm-hmm. in this culture that isn't his own, but that he's, like, identified surrounded with. by and yeah. identifies with. Yeah. And, like, yeah, like, reading. I, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, okay, so he's very charismatic, and he's really good at making the gang money. Um, so in 1971, La M.A. conducted the first prison gang street execution in the Los Angeles suburb of Monterey Park, which is said to have been ordered by Joe. Yeah. And Joe's universally respected amongst the gang, and he becomes the um, titular, like, godfather mm-hmm. of the Mexican mafia. There you go. That's my tie. He's the, the godfather. godfather. Um, he's also really respected for his vast heroin and cocaine connections in Mexico because all those gangs he was running with when he was younger, he has connections down to Mexico. And he's like, oh, I know a guy who knows a guy. So yeah. he starts bringing in this wealth of, um, like, wealth, essentially, yeah. to the gang. Okay, so this doesn't really have a lot to do with Joe, but 
still does because he's a part of it. Um, but I just thought it was so interesting. So during this period, the Mexican mafia starts taking control uh, over numerous community organizations. Okay. So I'm talking about like the League of United Citizens to Help Addicts. Project Get Going, uh-huh. Community Concern, Special Program for Alcoholism and Narcotics, and several other narcotic and alcohol prevention programs. And so La MA would place members of their gang within the staff of these programs, and they'd use the money, influence, vehicles, all, all their resources to fund their gang activities, to, like, buy drugs, to murder so it's enemies. Not, so originally what I thought you were saying was, because there's a lot of... Uh, What's his bucket down in Colombia? Uh, Medellin. Uh, Escobar. Yeah. Yeah. That there's there's also a thing that gangs will do and mobs will do where you infiltrate the community so that the community is on your side. Yeah. 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 So like so originally where I thought you were going with that was like okay they're getting themselves they're enmeshing in mm-hmm. the community which so that they're part of it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, they're yeah. viewed in a positive light where mm-hmm. you don't have people calling the cops on you or you don't have. Uh, but more so to your fact is they're they're using it just kind of as a business venture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're redirecting the funds. Yeah. So then you have this woman, uh, Ellen Delia, and she's the wife of Project Get Going. Okay. And um, the director of Project Get Going is Michael uh, Delia. So they're married. But Michael is actually a member of La Emma. Mm. And um, Ellen finds out that La Emma is like using program funds for themselves. So she like tries to bring it up a couple times to authorities and like they're not listening to her. So she decides to go down to the state Senate to show them evidence. Oh, dang. But her husband, Michael, finds out. And so he tells the other La Emma he knows members happened to her. and several. Uh, and so they end up they they end up like meeting up with her and taking her to like a deserted area and they shoot her in the mm. back of the head. Um and oh and to this day the Mexican mafia still uses these infiltration tactics to gain control of resources. Crazy. So they're still within yeah, these yeah, like yeah. programs. So they're supposed to be helping the community. Which sucks like imagine imagine you graduate from college mm-hmm. and you're like out in the workforce and you're like going to get a job and you find this really cool job that resonates with you personally and you're like this is the thing like I'm gonna be like I love social work mm-hmm. and you get a job with one of these programs and the more you're there and you like to figure out that something you're a part of then you're like oh shoot yeah this has like ties. mafia ties yeah yeah how Oh, how crazy. And then to know that, to find out that your husband is all, like, is a part of it. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm thinking from like a little yeah, person yeah, yeah. standpoint. Yeah. That's nuts. That's nuts. Yes. And you have this whole, like, I put myself in that scenario where you go, there's this moral dilemma of the safe thing to do is just peace out of there. Uh-huh. And be like, oh, okay, not the spot for me. Mm-hmm. Let me go do this other thing. But then there's this whole, like, ethical morality of like, I should alert someone to, mm-hmm. but that's incredibly dangerous. Yes. Yeah. You need to ask for protection. You're like, I have this information. You need to. And to be protected, you have to give up your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would have such a hard time being witness protection, don't you think? <laughs> Between the two of us. <laughs> I would love it. I could disappear forever. To not tell stories that are my stories. Eh, you could be like a friend of mine. What do you mean? You could, instead of being like my story, be like, oh, a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I suppose. I just think I'd have a hard time with it. You would. You'd slip up. I, I love all the people I love. It would have it would be a really hard time 
like disconnecting from almost everyone in my life. Yeah. That yeah, oh, what a rough. Even if you get to choose a new spot and you have like there's a there's a novelty and a funness to that. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like to abandon like I like who I am. That would be really hard to abandon it. Yeah. And now now my voice is famous, obviously. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, is that Jackie? Um I've heard her on a small unknown podcast. <laughs> well, uh, we were doing that live show and someone came off the street because they recognized our voices. There you go. If that's you, can you write us? Because I wanted to say thank you yeah, for coming in. Yeah, who are you? Yeah. Wonderful gal who took pictures with us. That was awesome. Yeah. She's we like, never I was just walking down up. the street yeah. and I heard your voice. I was like, no way. That's- a local Bend fan. That was yeah. really fun. Yeah. Anywho, Joe Morgan. Okay, so when Joe gets out of prison in the mid seventies, he's back on Time the, of the prime. Yes, he's back on the streets and he's still living by that M.A. like lifestyle. And at the time, you also have the Italian mob, which would sometimes like break your leg or intimidate you. But then the Mexican mafia gets this reputation of just killing you. So like, don't mess with them. Yeah. Um, and there were all these deaths that were occurring on the streets in the seventies. And that was the Mexican mafia taking over the drug industry in East Los Angeles and the Mm. surrounding areas. Yeah. 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 It gets ruthless. Um, and so Joe, so not that West side story anymore. No. uh -uh. (laughs) And so Joe is also able to form relationships with the Aryan brotherhood and the Mexican drug cartels. Cause he looks white, um, but he's able to speak fluent Spanish. So he's bridging this gap between these gangs. Um, and also during this time, Joe gets married, he has two kiddos, and then he's arrested for trafficking uh, firearms, mm. uh, which results in a five-year sentence. But two hours later, he gets caught with heroin, and so the court gives him a sense of two to ten years behind bars. That's a span. Yeah. So now I'm going to tell you about Ramon. So Who's Ramon? I'm going to tell you about him. Okay. Okay, so you have Ramon Mundo Mendoza, and he's one of the first Leme enforcers to spread the gang's purpose throughout the state of California. Okay. Outside of the prison system. Okay. And so, so like, he's in prison, he gets into Leme, he gets out, and he starts spreading yeah. the good word. And they, <laughs> they systematically... Uh, replace local drug dealers with MA drug dealers. The organization is kind of impressive. Yes. Yes. They actually have their... Who's to say if these are real? Well, they they might be because I'm going to tell you some stuff. But their guidelines are like on the internet. And it kind of is like a fight clubby. Like you will never say you're part of MA or admit that MA is like a thing. And like if you want out... You have to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So between July 1975 and November of 1977, over 50 people were murdered by La M.A. Hitman. And the thing about the Hitman is, like, it's not like they outsource to a Hitman that goes and kills because then they're like, oh, well, you know too much information that we have to kill you. No, it's an initiation into being. Yes. And so they all have to partake. You at least have to kill one person. You're dirty. You'll never get out because you're dirty. Yes. Uh, and let me, it has no formal like hierarchy or rank structure, but it seems like a little bit of mayhem. Uh huh. Yeah. But still there's respect. Like you have Joe who's like the godfather, but he doesn't really have like the, that kind of like power title, you know, but he's still able to puppeteer if you will. Um, so if, if they did have a, like a rank structure, thank Right. Thank you. Credit where credit's due. Yeah. But if they did have a rank structure, Ramon would have been considered one of their leaders, uh, and he was close associates with uh, Joe. And so Ramon is in Consigliere. an... Consigliere. <laughs> in the Italian mafia? Yeah. You've got the Don, yeah. the godfather, and then their right-hand man is your consigliere, and that's your 
he'll give you advice. He's he's like second in command. Mm-hmm. There's a structure to all of it. Do you know in Chile, uh, on my like visa, I'm Don Chandrea. No, you're not. Yeah. Why? Um, they got my gender wrong. <laughs> so they said I was a guy. <laughs> it should have been Donna, but it's oh, Don. That's so funny. Mm, so I am Don Chandrea. Okay, so you have Ramon, and he's in and out of prison for violent charges to drug charges, etc. And he's released from prison on July 25th of 1975. Now, this has nothing to do with the story, but it's so interesting. Okay, so then you have the indeterminate sentencing law that is reversed and so this is when a sentence is imposed for a crime that isn't given a definite duration so the prison term that is like a range of dates so like five to ten years got it got it so numerous criminals in prison gangs were released from california prisons after this law was reversed so the mexican mafia utilized this this flood of people uh of ma members to secure uh the mafia's power and control outside the prison walls so there's Wow. All these crazy like things that just legal by things. happenstance. Yes, that just gives them more power. Fascinating. Um, so Ramon is back on the streets and he's pushing La Ma agenda. And him and his buddy Edward Sailor Boy Gonzalez go out to Bakersfield and they visit two rival drug dealers and they end up murdering them. Okay. And on their way back um, to LA, they're caught by police. And so what should have been a slam dunk double murder case um, actually doesn't go through because Why? the presiding judge releases them based on a motion for a speedy trial filed by their defense attorney um and but while waiting for like waiting to hear about this ramon finds god like in jail and he decides to leave la ma and work with law enforcement and he begins working undercover against la ma and he has that's like the right guy to get uh and he has numerous members arrested and so he goes into uh witness protection Dang. And he he does like there's a YouTube video that I'll cite later, but he like voices it and he he like writes a book about it and like what it was to be like in La MA and like imagine, all the things behind it. Imagine if you met a dude. Uh-huh. And you like fall in love with him and you're like, This is the dude. Uh-huh. And then you get to a certain point in the relationship where he's like, Okay, now you gotta know that I'm in witness protection. Yeah. I mean, they eventually get to tell their significant other, right? Mm. Because you have to explain certain things. I've only been in witness protection once. So Okay, yeah. so your experience was different. But, <laughs> like, you get to a certain point, like, where you're like, you, and, like, how, like, I just, it's always fascinating to me, the idea of meeting someone with a past mm-hmm. and then deciding how much of that is gone. Yeah. It's just an, it's an interesting idea to me. Yeah. But, and then, so kind of like what you were just saying, Ramon is essentially defecting from Lame. Yeah. He's he's did all these horrible things. Yes. It was awful. Yes. And now there's a flip. Yeah. And now they're saying, I want to be a good person now. I'm going to mm-hmm. put these other bad people away. Yeah. I'm doing all of this good. Yeah. I'm now starting over. Yeah. Do you take it at face value as a start over or yeah. is it a, I, I, it's, it's interesting to me. They were saying that like law enforcement at first was like, we don't trust you. Blah, yeah, blah, no blah. way. But isn't it interesting? Again, he should have been sent to jail for a double murder case. Yeah. But then the judge decides against it. Yeah. And then at the same time, he finds God. Yeah. And then he in turn helps authorities like infiltrate. And is, La yeah. MA. And you go like, yeah, I don't know. It's <sighs> crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So Ramon. So he decides to testify against Joe. Okay. 
for arranging a hit. Oh, Joe's the godfather. Uh-huh. Take it down the top. Uh-huh. So for arranging a hit in 1977 um, against this, like, drug dealer. And Joe supposedly gives Ramon a picture of the victim and the guy's house key and a 45 caliber pistol. Okay, and he, like some evidence. Yes, yes. And so ultimately Joe is convicted of second-degree murder because wow. of this. Um, and then between 1992 and 1993, La Eme starts spreading the La Eme etiquette. And basically, so this is kind of separate from what's going on, yeah. but this is also just fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, this is an order by the prison gang issued to street gangs to stop all drive-by shootings and end the violence. Huh. Why? Like, the media, like, takes this and runs. They're like, this violent gang is, you know, asking for an A end heart to... heart of gold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and ending drive-by shootings. But um, what was really going on is they wanted to stop drive-by shootings and actually do walk-up style shootings instead because it was more accurate. Huh. Um, like you guys got to stop it with this spraying yeah. bullets everywhere. It's yes. really not economical. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's said that they think like Joe passed down that etiquette law. Yeah. Um, okay. So an aside as this is all going on so you have ramon who's defecting yeah um and i don't know if he's in the midst of writing a book or the book came out anyways in 1992 the film american me is released which is based on the history of the mexican mafia oh, and there's never this, heard of it there's a supporting character jd who's a white mafia member with an artificial leg huh. and he's kind of controlling the mexican mafia huh. and you have edward james um almost who's the movie's writer director and star no way uh-huh oh do you know him yeah Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. Do you know, um, he played Selena's dad in the Aww. Selena movie. I still haven't seen it. I'm sorry. Edward James almost is a, he's a badass uh, dude actor. Yeah, he's oh. just a cool guy. He's um, in a bunch of really great movies. Um, and so he, before the movie's release, he attempted to, like, meet with Joe. And there's, like, some back and forth that he's like, no, Joe, like, gave me his blessing on the film script and blah, blah. And Joe after it releases yeah it's like no way he files a lawsuit of uh like defamation half a, yeah half a million dollars um against james and universal studios um uh, based on the inaccuracies shown in the film because there's like a, a it's, scene. it's fiction eh. he's not making a documentary he's inspired by true events yeah. and you're writing a movie that will capture people's imaginations but joe's coming from the fact that it's his life and the, someone else is telling it char- i get it the character who plays him for sure is raped Ooh. and so you don't do that to someone who's in the Mexican mafia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, okay, there's, okay. there's a scene. I don't know if it's Joe's character or someone else, but um, he's impotent with a woman. Um, and then he shows the character, you know, that should be Joe is murdering people that Joe has never been convicted for. So he's like, you're messing with my parole also. So Joe is pissed. Um, that's scary to be Edward James almost to be in that position yeah. and have this dude mad at you. Yes. Okay. So it's not just him. It's like the whole Mexican mafia. So then you have these deaths around the movie. So you have Charles Manriquez um, and he's a Mexican mafia member and unofficial consultant to the movie. Okay. And he is shot to death in March of 1992 inside a Los Angeles housing project in La M.A. Uh, stronghold less than two weeks after the film premiered by two La M.A. hitmen. Dang. So they take him down. And then you have Ana Lizgara, uh, and she's a community youth counselor and official onset paid like consultant like yeah. the number one advisor to american me and um she shot point blank in the head um like right in her driveway in front of her son and her boyfriend Ugh. by recently paroled jose gonzalez on may 13th of 1992 
Um, and then you have Manuel Luna, a LAMA member who had served um, as an unpaid consultant for American Me. And he's killed a little over a year later. And he, he has some, like, bad blood with the higher-ups anyways because they want him to do a hit and he doesn't want to do a hit. Okay. And so he was always already on thin ice with the American Me consultation. Yeah. And so they um, they kill him. Uh, and then Edward himself received a number of thinly veiled threats on his life from the Mexican mafia. And in the aftermath of the film's release, causing him so much concern, he contacted the FBI and went into seclusion for a little bit. That's crazy. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Okay. So Joe, so we're, now we're going to go back to Joe. So Joe is diagnosed with inoperable liver cancer. Mm. Uh, so his wife tries to get him a compassionate release. Um, but before the paperwork goes... I wonder how often those get granted. Uh, yeah, if you have, like, six or less months to live, yeah, you can be granted. But again, but I wonder you, how often they get granted. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to think about how long the paperwork lasts, like... Well, and, like, people will get... They'll be given six months, and then they'll live for three years. Yeah, yeah. It's a doctor's best guess. Yeah. It happens in Shameless, the movie, oh. or the, the show Shameless. Have you, have you seen that? Well, I'm a the fantastic one who told, show. I'm the one who told you to watch it. <laughs> So this Have you was, seen Friends? This was a fun moment. Um, <laughs> do you remember I like gave you my login so you could watch it? But then I think at one point it's you, on Netflix. I think at one point you surpassed how far. Oh, because I haven't seen the last couple seasons. I feel like uh, it really jumped the shark, but it's still a funny it's show. Oh, so good. Okay. It's awful. It's it's dark, but They're it's also all awful. Funny, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so before the paperwork is even started, um, Joe dies in his sleep. Um, and then just a little asides again, um, I'm going to get his last name wrong. Dan, Danny Trejo. Oh, Danny Trejo. So he has, he like talks about being part of this whole fiasco with American me. Danny Trejo is a, he is a badass. Yes. He's yeah. a bad, like he grew you, up with all those. When we did that podcast and they have this whole like. The killer cocktails podcast? No, we were on the, <laughs> we were on the movie podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. and they have this whole thing about if. Danny Trejo was in the movie that you're talking about. Uh-huh. What character would he be? I believe that's the game. Yeah. But yeah, like they have this whole like Danny Trejo thing because he's in a thousand things. Yes. Yeah. Most famously Con Air, obviously. Uh, oh, such a great movie. <laughs> um, no, well, so I was watching this interview with him and he's like talking all about all sorts of stuff, but he talks about American Me yeah. and he's like, yeah, Edward fucked up. And like he like, you know, Joe was just like not not about it and yeah he, like was out to get him and it's just so interesting to see this like very well-known actor yeah like having ties to the Me- not that he was a member because he said he he was always he grew up with people but he always yeah, stayed out yeah. of it because he was like in other things so like a sports or like there's there's or- dudes in uh sons of anarchy who were in hell's angels which uh-huh. is not you know not the same yeah um but yeah, like they're like you've got all these people pretending to be in a biker gang, and then yeah. you get people who are in a biker gang yeah. who are like, "Yeah, I'll like help keep you guys real and yeah. like make sure you're telling the stories right." Well, that's what so that's what Danny was saying. He was like, "I started getting these really small parts, and then you know the directors would come over and be like, hey, can you say like we're gonna kill this guy?'" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I got that. I did that on the yard all the time. Like we're gonna kill that guy." And the guy's like, "Yeah, yeah, that was perfect." He's like, D- "Don't even need to reshoot it." He's like, "Yeah, because I lived that. Like I yeah, wasn't that's acting. how you say it. Yeah, yeah." <laughs> That's wild. So crazy. Um, oh, okay. So then Joe also has a little tie to the Manson family. What is that? So um, I got this from the YouTube uh, video uh, that Ramon was, like, talking on. Okay. So um, in that YouTube um, 
like clip I was watching, uh, Ramon was the one who defected and he yeah. was like talking and he said that in 1975, you have this girl named Maria and she's uh, living with uh, Joe and in an apartment in Glendale. And he st- uh, states that she had been gifted to Joe by an Aryan Brotherhood member, Robert Hedberg, um, upon Joe's release. And Joe and Robert were really Ew. close and with relationship between La Eme and um, so she was just kind of like gifted. That's to- what I'm saying. Ew yeah, about. yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and so it was. It was just like an interesting aside that he was. He meant some of the people from the Manson family. Yeah, and she was one of the girls. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you? We went and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood together. So good. It's so. I've seen it two times now. You need three to watch times. it again. It's worth watching again for sure. I can remember the first time through knowing the story. Mm-hmm. Waiting for certain things to happen uh-huh. and then being completely tricked and getting Tarantino'd. Yeah. And having him just Tarantino re- it. Rewrite history. Yes. <laughs> it was so much better. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to cite my sources. So Wikipedia, you have my man blue. Um, you have the LA Times. They did so many articles. Oh. Um a uh, special shout out to writer Jesse Katz. Um, and then you have an article called The Best Argument Against the Death Penalty Gangs uh, by Richard uh, v- uh, Vladimir um, on, on the website called policemag.com, which was really interesting. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the YouTube video I kept talking about uh, narrated by Ramon uh, is called A Mexican Mafia Profile. And then if you could find the uh, Danny Trejo uh, clips, oh. like do Danny Trejo, like Joe Morgan or Edward almost yeah, yeah, or yeah. whatever. And you can find it's so interesting. It's so huh. interesting, yeah. But no, I I rabbit hole all over this story. That's cool. Yeah, it was really. So if you have time, like look look into the mafia. It's crazy. <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm doing weird <laughs> hand movements. Like like. You're excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, th- that was my story. Um, we gotta go because I'm smelling. Bacon? I can smell right now. You can smell right I now. I can smell right now, and whatever's coming out of Kimry's kitchen smells. It's- it's amazing bacon. um wait, that's wait, wait. bacon i'm smelling are you se- do you not know what bacon smells like all i know is that uh yeah i wouldn't be able to pick that out but i can tell you that like whatever's happening smells amazing and i can tell it's being cooked i'm so sad that you live in a world where you i mean can't- I, I have smelled bacon before but what's happening right now doesn't smell like bacon to me i i don't even know how to talk to you right now i'm sorry i I feel like you're not living to your full potential. So you should you should feel bad for me. Yeah. Instead of giving me shit. Yeah. And constantly trying to prove me wrong. Yeah. And like put me down. Yeah. Maybe you should have a little bit more compassion for me as a person. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent is Jackie Andrea. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast. You can also head over to our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, where you can find more information about each episode, cocktail recipes, podcast merch. There's even a nifty little donation station button if you're feeling generous. We're a self-funded podcast, and all your donations do really help. Our logo was created by Michelle Michael Art, whose amazing work can be found at MichelleMichaelArt.com. That's Michelle with one L. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlust, and make sure you always tune in every Monday for hashtag Murder Monday. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on.
Okay. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Ridiculous. I don't know why it's so funny. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> hey guys, it's Drea. This is Jackie. P. I this... think we got too funky. No, that's a different drink. <laughs> See, this is what happens. No, but no, but I get confused. <laughs> mixed oh. up with the <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. We didn't like any of the drinks. <laughs> All right. Okay. 